Well, good morning. It is an honor for me to be here with you, and congratulations to all of you who are in on the founding of Phoenix Bible Church. Someday, you're going to look back and say, I was there when we used to meet at Grace Lutheran Church, because you're going to be on a journey together. You know, you're, you're on a journey. Our church started in our living room and went to a grammar school, went to a high school, went to a rented building with the big for sale sign, uh, went to our first purchase building where you had to be lost in order to find it because there was no drive-by traffic to the middle of the valley. But it's a, a, a church is a journey, a family is a journey, a marriage is a journey. And uh, you can enjoy every stage of it. You know, as pastors, we're, we have a vision. We want our church to have thousands of people because we want to have an impact for Christ. We want our families to be dynamic. But the truth is, it doesn't really get any better than this if you're really loving each other, if you're really worshiping God uh, in your marriages, in your church, in all of life. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to get into... Um, uh, some things that I hope will help you. Father, thank you for this wonderful congregation. I pray your grace, your peace, your blessing on each person here. Lord, we're here because we're seeking you. We're, each person here desires a marriage that's going to be rich and full of life and love. And I pray that these couples will have a legacy of fruitfulness that will last for generations to come. In Jesus' name. How many of you here are not married? Just let me see. Okay. So, so for some of you, I'm talking about marriage. This is a great place for you to be today because when you do find the right person at the right time, you're going to be able to build on a foundation that's going to be really secure. So I just want to say I am really thankful for you to be here. Um, a number of, uh, well, maybe a year ago, my wife and I, had a marriage counselor come to our house. We've, we've gone to seminars, we've gone to marriage counseling, and one of the things that he asked us right away, he said to Christina, my wife, we've been married 41 years, we met at a Bible study, and I just remember opening my eyes to Pete because we were holding hands in a circle, and it was a nice warm hand and a nice pretty girl, and I knew I was in the right place, you know. Um, he said to Christina, Christina, do you think Mark loves you? And she said, yeah, I think Mark loves me. And then she, he said, Christina, do you feel like Mark loves you? And she's quiet. And I'm like, come on, what's the difference? So tell him, yes, yes, you know. And uh, she thinks about it for quite a while. And, and then she says, I feel like he loves me most of the time. And that was what our session was all about. It was about the gap between what she knows is my intention and how my intention is communicated and how it connects. And sometimes it's not a good connection at all. Sometimes uh, she doesn't feel like I love her because I'm not loving her in a way that feels like love. You, you know what I mean? Uh, you, you've got a mom, probably. You've got a dad. Do you think they love you? Yes. Do you feel loved? Or do you feel smothered, controlled, you know, or ignored, or whatever? I mean, the, the, the difference between what you think and what you feel can be profound. I'm going to give you some scriptures today that form the basis of my theology of um, marriage. And I think it is really important, if you love Jesus, 
to have a sense of what does God say, how does God want me to build my life, how does he want me to build my marriage. And this theology of marriage begins in Matthew 19. And it says in verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. From the beginning, God has established marriage. Before he established the church, before he established government, he established marriage between a man and a woman. And he says, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one. So there is a physical act of sexual union that makes a man and a woman one. And there is a spiritual act that takes place at the exact same moment that makes a man and a woman one. And because we are one, I am not better than my wife, and she is not better than me. We are two sides to the same coin, if you will. And that's an important understanding because sometimes we can slip into a judgmental mode. Like, uh, I can't believe she's this way. And she just frustrates the heck out of me when she's all emotional. And we're just trying to have a conversation and she's crying on me. You know what I mean? And she's upset because I'm correcting her because she's using words that I don't think accurately portray the situation. And we're arguing about the words and she's so frustrated. And our son's holding on to her leg crying while I'm arguing with his mother. And it's a total disaster. Why? Because I'm, I'm forcing something. I'm trying to prove something. I'm trying to prove that I'm, I'm smarter. I'm trying to prove that I'm right. I'm trying to prove that I'm better. And when I do that, it does not work good. I have to remember that the two of us are one at all times. Continuing on here, it says, There are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, divorce is not an option. It's not an option for us, it never has been, and it never will be. That, I mean, there are times when somebody is married to a spouse and that spouse is sexually immoral, unfaithful, departs, etc. Divorce can happen in those cases, but in terms of how I'm approaching my marriage and how my wife is approaching our marriage, we're all in, in terms of faithfulness. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Okay, and here's the final point I want to make from Matthew 19. The number one problem in marriages is hard-heartedness. Hard-hearted people focus on what's wrong with their spouse. They don't see what's wrong with themselves. And basically what Jesus said was, Moses did permit divorce because your hearts were so darn hard that you were making life miserable for your spouse and you never figured out what God wanted for your life. And, and what he's saying to his disciples is, I'm not giving you that out because I'm going to give you grace that's going to change your heart. 
And the disciples, when they realized that there was no longer an option for divorce, you know how they responded at the end of this? They said, well, then maybe it's better not to get married. (laughs) Really. You know why they were saying that? Because they could control women by the fear of divorce, because there was no social safety net, no welfare, no guaranteed alimony, child support, or anything in those days. So a woman is completely vulnerable and could be manipulated by a man who, with the, the fear that she would be divorced if she didn't toe the line. Jesus has taken that away, and they don't know how to function. They don't know how to function without that sense of intimidation and control. And, and whether you're dealing with a church or a business or a marriage, intimidation and control is not godly. It's not Christ-like. There's a whole other way to love one another. But that kind of love makes us all very vulnerable. Because once a woman realizes her husband's all in, committed, never going to divorce her, never going to be unfaithful to her, and not going to manipulate or threaten her physically, um, she is emboldened. And a bold woman can say things that really hurt a man. Uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, but most men, when they get angry, they're getting angry because they've been hurt. And they're not wanting to say, we don't like to say, wow, it really hurts me when you do that. You know why? Because you might do it again once you know how you can hurt me. And, and most women aren't trying to hurt a man, but they can hurt a man without even realizing it. Just like a man can hurt a woman without even realizing it. You can be trying to, to hug or, or caress your wife and pull her hair by accident, right? And make her, ow, you know, and that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to make her feel like you're Romeo and she's Juliet, but you're bungling it. I mean, we all do that. And if I was talking to you about the sex portion of your, your deal today, I would say that, that what really confuses guys is that women change uh, several times in a month. And what is wonderful on the, the Monday, a, a week from Tuesday, is she doesn't like it anymore. You know what I mean? And that really wigs us out because guys are pretty much consistent. What we like is what we like all the time, you know. Um, but that's another topic. I do really like... I do really like the fact that you've got love, sex, and conflict all together. Because a a good marriage is going to have a lot of all three. Really, a lot of all three. And uh, when it comes to love, how many of you have ever been in love? By being in love, I mean that, that powerful, romantic attachment that makes you think about somebody all the time. Can I see your hands? Okay. How many have had it last more than a month? Almost all of you. That's fantastic. For, for some of us, <clears throat> it only lasts a matter of weeks. Maybe may, uh, you're go- doing good at a month, maybe a few months. But that powerful romantic infatuation does not last in any marriage. It, it lasts in Nicholas Sparks' romance books, you know, uh, for long weekends of immorality most of the time, but um, the, the, that's really not what love is all about. Uh, I remember when um, Christina and I had that intense infatuation all the time. 
that, that lasted a few weeks. And I thought it, it is a, it's a great way to launch a relationship. And, and that's why it's so important for believers to live a holy life where there is no guilt and no shame. You don't want to get married with guilt. Both of us had been sexually immoral to a certain extent, me more than my wife, uh, in the 60s before we even met each other. We met each other in 1970. And um, we needed a period of celibacy before we got married because Christ not only forgave our sins, he needed to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, you, you understand the difference there? It says in 1 John 1, uh, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I'm confusing two scriptures here. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. What does that mean? It means that if I'm in the light, I'm not hiding anything, then you and I can connect because there's no walls of separation between us. And when we connect and fellowship in the Spirit, there's a cleansing that takes place. There's an impartation that takes place that, that washes us. If you do something terrible and, and have a fit and make a big mess and then say, gosh, I'm sorry I was so angry, I'm sorry I made such a big mess, um, will you forgive me? I say, yes, I'll forgive you. But now what do we have to do? Somebody has to clean up the mess. You know, things were broken, things were turned over, things were whatever. Um, so our souls have messes. And in, in loving each other and to have a good marriage, we've got to walk in the light so that the messes can get cleaned up. And that begins before you even say, I do. When you commit your lives to Christ and you decide you're going to stay celibate until the day that you get married, and then you can have a guilt-free start to your marriage, which is what we all need. We need it because when you get married, you start with about that much grace, if you're a guy, from your, your wife because she thinks you're wonderful, and you slowly lose it. And, uh, and hopefully, while you're losing it, you're slowly gaining a little character and maturity because by the time she's completely fed up with you, which could be maybe seven years and three children into your relationship, you're, you've got the humility to say, okay, I need to listen here because my wife feels like she's going crazy. My wife said that we had a church in California which we had planted and we had a couple hundred people and I was working seven days a week and we had three kids and and, what, and, and she said to me one day, I feel like I'm going crazy. Now, my, the first time she said that and she was crying and everything, I said to her, listen, I, I'm doing everything I can to provide for our family. I'm working as hard as I can. You get my paycheck every time. You, you're, I, I'm completely faithful to you. What more can I do? So stop crying. Uh, that doesn't solve the problem <laughs> long term, you know. Uh, doesn't solve it long term. I don't know where I'm going to go with it. I'm completely off my notes. I think I better just go back to Scripture for a minute. Um, okay, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 11 for a minute. This is also part of my theology of marriage. 
Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a wom- the woman is the glory of man. Okay, I'm not going to talk about head covering and all that, but I'm going to talk about that phrase, the woman is the glory of man. So sometimes my wife looks very beautiful, and sometimes she looks very frustrating, frustrated and not so beautiful, if you know what I mean. And what I've learned is that it's not about her, it's about me, okay? She, the glory of man means she is a reflection of what I'm putting into her. She's a reflection of the environment that I'm creating. And if I'm, the reason I was working seven days a week is I was afraid if I didn't keep that pace going, the church wouldn't grow. It would, it would fall apart or whatever. I had a lack of faith in terms of my approach to work, so I was overdoing it. I didn't have the faith to take a Sabbath to rest as God commands us to do. Christians break uh, that one commandment. They keep the rest of them pretty much, but they break that one commandment because of a misguided notion of what we've got to do to survive. And so I was creating this environment that was way overstressed, and, and my wife was reflecting that stress and that anxiety, um, and that's why she, she looked the way she did and acted the way she did, and I had to take ownership for that. Rather than blaming her, and now I can't believe that, you know, you're, you're not taking as good a care of yourself or whatever. Once a guy gets into that mode, it, it's downhill all the way from there. Okay, let me give you a, a final passage of Scripture. Ephesians 5. And this is the famous uh, Scripture about marriage from the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So there, there, there are two things being said here. First, we're to submit to one another in marriage and submit to one another in the body of Christ. If I love my wife, it's not always going to be my way. Sometimes it's going to be her way. It, I, I may be the head of the house. I am the head of the house. But the head of the house better have some wisdom or the house is not going to be a happy house. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> you know, if, if I'm insisting on where we're going for vacation or even what restaurant we're going to, um, that, that's not really love. Love is, is listening to who you're trying to lead and who you're trying to serve and because women are oftentimes a lot more in tune to what's really going to enhance our relationship than the guy is. So there's a mutual submission, and then there's a special submission a wife has to her husband. Um, and, and if you're not married yet, ladies, you want to make sure you're going to marry the kind of man who you believe has the kind of character and commitment to Christ that you would want to submit to. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so... Also, wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Cleansing her, washing her through the word. When Christina and I were going to get married, we dated for about two years. We broke up for a little while, and uh, then we got back together, and we decided to get married and we were on a picnic right before we got married, the weekend before. 
and we, you know, we, we were trying to stay pure, so we did a lot of praying when we went on picnics and stuff like that. And uh, so we're praying, and we're talking, and we're, we're having lunch, and then I could tell something's troubling her, and I'm asking her about what's going on, and she decides to tell me something that she had never told me before. And what she told me was, when she was an 11-year-old girl, she had been sexually abused. And it had gone on for a while because her mother was in a mental institution, which I knew about from suicide attempts. Um, and I could tell that she was profoundly wounded. Now, this is like 1973, so there wasn't a lot of literature out. There wasn't a lot of public discussion about the long-term implications of sexual abuse. But I, even though I was only 23 years old, she was 19 at the time, um, I realized my wife, who I'm committed to marry in a week, has really been wounded, and she needs the grace of God. She needs some healing. And uh, so what we did is we prayed together, and I asked God to heal her and deliver her from some fears and some demonic forces that had literally gripped her ever since she was young. Outwardly, I hadn't been aware of that, but when she really began to reveal what was going on in her soul, I realized there were some very powerful things. And, and the Lord honored that prayer, and she got some deliverance, and she got some healing, and it profoundly liberated her in such a way that there has been no sexual dysfunction in our marriage by the grace of God. We've had all kinds of other dysfunction, but we haven't had that. Um, and the reason that's, that happened was twofold. One is we had been committed to celibacy before marriage, and therefore she trusted me as a man of God. Even though I'm 23 years old, I'm uh, only three years in the Lord, I understood that Jesus gives authority to all of us if we, if we abide in him. And so she was able to receive something that has had this major impact on the rest of our life. And that cleansing that this scripture talks about, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, is something that every woman needs and every guy needs. But a man is especially graced by God to provide that cleansing for his wife if he understands what it's all about. Now, it isn't just a matter of, oh, I can't believe you got this bad attitude. We're going to just have to fix that. I'm going to just give you a scripture on that one. Now, let me give you a scripture on this one. And if you would just submit, and if you would just, you know, whatever, that's not how it goes. It goes more like uh, the washing that takes place when she is willing to be vulnerable to you and receive you as a man of God. I'm not always an easy person to be around. I'm not always an easy person to live with. I'm not romantic by nature. I've got my wife flowers at least twice in 41 years, but she grows her own flowers, so she, she compensates for that, you know. Um, by the way, she is in Mexico this uh, weekend doing a medical mission outreach. She always wanted to be a doctor, and uh, she couldn't be a doctor because I wouldn't let her go to uh, college and get her degree because I needed her at my side to raise our four kids. And, um, but now she's released to go on medical missions. Our kids are grown and, and gone, and um, it's, it's something that brings her tremendous joy. 
it's not so fun for me to have her gone for a couple of nights once a month, and it, th that's another story, but um, what's, what's, I don't even know how I got on that now. <laughs> Dang, okay. Okay, here's what I want to do for you before we run out of time. Did everybody get these two sheets, how I fulfill these scriptures? You got that? Okay, I want to go over this with you because I'm going to ask you to go over that with each other before you're done. I'm going to give you these 10 points real quick. Number one, I stay faithful to her. In other words, I made a vow that I would be faithful to her sexually. I would keep myself pure. That's what I've done. That's why I stay away from internet porn. That's why I uh, guard myself around certain women because almost every man is vulnerable to somebody. And by the grace of God, my wife loves me enough so that I can tell her if I've gotten uh, emotionally attracted to somebody. That can be really, really helpful in marriage if you can talk about it. It also can be really helpful if you have a small group, uh, especially guys, and you can talk about where you're vulnerable. But I'd stay faithful to her. Number two, I stay faithful to God. I've made my commitment to Jesus Christ, and I've had my heart broken. Uh, she has had her heart broken. When uh, when our old, we moved here because our oldest son had asthma. He was literally dying in California. And so we had to move here and restart our lives. And uh, he, he was able to live a, a normal, healthy life. He grew to be six foot three. He was a photographer for the Phoenix Suns. And uh, uh, the day after his junior year of high school, he and his friends went to uh, the Salt River. Nobody was drinking. Nobody was partying. They were just tubing and having a great time. And he fell off his tube, and uh, he drowned. And it totally broke our hearts. It devastated us. I cried literally for almost every day for nine months. Um, and my wife was heartbroken as well, to say the least. But we, she stayed faithful to God. I've stayed faithful to God. There will be stuff happen in your life. Probably not like that. Hopefully not. But there will be stuff happen that will blindside you, that will blow your paradigm of the, the beautiful Christian life and family and what you would expect. And you have a choice as to whether you're going to stay faithful to Jesus or not at those times. And if you do, he puts... The, the, a bigger picture together in the long run than you would have ever been able to put together for yourself. But Okay, number three, I free her to be healthy. Now that means that I, I free her to go to bed before all the dishes are done, and maybe I put the dishes in the dishwasher. I free her to take a nap. I free her to go to Mexico. I free her to go out with her friends. I free her to do whatever will enrich her life because I want that glory that she will reflect to be uh, beautiful rather than just hassled and frazzled and frustrated and beat down by the circumstances of life. If you want your spouse to be healthy, you're going to have to free them, that spouse. Okay, number four, and you, somebody will probably deal with this in your conflict session, I never harm her with words or deeds. Um, I have been so frustrated a couple of times, especially years ago, um, that I felt like punching my wife. I'm thankful to God that I never did. 
but I was just a tightly wound guy and I would get really frustrated. It, it has a lot to do with being young and full of testosterone and you get older, you get more mellow, that doesn't mean your heart gets nicer, but regardless, here's part of my context is I never want to say anything that would cause long-term harm. I never want to do anything that would cause long-term harm because the two of us are one. What good would it do? I wouldn't bash my head against a wall or bash my fist into a brick. Why would I do that to her? Even though she could frustrate me so much, I need to figure out the, the, the puzzle of who my wife is. Uh, number five, I embrace her priorities. So Christina has had priorities. She wants chickens in our backyard. So we got chickens. I didn't want a chicken, you know. I can buy eggs just fine. Um, she, she wants uh, certain paintings on the wall and, and couches. She wants uh, certain things, you know, like she wants new carpet now or whatever. I have to honor her and love her by embracing her priorities. It can't just be me. She has a, a God-given calling to enrich my life, to enrich our family, and I have to receive her in that calling, and sometimes that's expensive. Um, number six, I'm honest with her. Uh, something happened about, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and, um, oh, I know what it was. I was playing words with friends, and uh, she was waiting for me to come to bed, and I'm in the bathroom, and I had my iPad there, so I'm just playing a couple quick games, and she's like, are you playing that game again? I'm like, no, no. And I found myself for, like, I, here I am. I'm deceiving her. Yeah, you know, I just didn't want to admit it. I've got this little addiction, and I don't want to be honest about it. I want to beat this guy before I go to bed, you know? And um, <clears throat> I'm confessing that because whenever I transgress, it's best to be clean about it and not to hide it. I want to be honest with my wife forever because there's times she really needs to believe me. You know what I mean? She really needs to trust me. She needs to know every time I say something, this is the real deal. Because we deal with matters of life and death all the time. And uh, I need her to pray for me and love me and to be at my side in the battles that we face. And if there's a to the degree to which you're not honest, you know what happens? Everybody who knows that, if they, to the degree to they know you embellish anything, they will tune you out on everything. If, as a pastor, if I was talking to a group of pastors, I'd say, once your congregation realizes that sometimes you exaggerate, then they will tune down every story you ever tell. They won't accept it at face value. It's a horrible price to pay. Um, number seven, I let her be herself. My wife likes to quilt. She likes to deliver babies for ladies in the church. She likes to uh, fly fish. She likes to bow hunt. We bow hunt elk. She's into more stuff than anybody I've ever met in my life. Um, some of it's downright weird, you know what I mean? <laughs> she'll, she'll hike in the desert with our granddaughter and bring back owl pellets. If you don't know what an owl pellet is, I'm not gonna tell you. It's 
weird, though, you know what I mean? And they'll, they'll dissect the dumb things, and it's like, give me a break. Let them eat their mice in peace, you know? But I, I, I free her to be herself because that's what Christ does for us, right? Those who the sun sets free are free indeed. Number eight, I invest in our marriage, just like what you guys are doing today. You're investing in your current marriage or hopefully your future marriage. You're investing by saying, I'm seeking wisdom, I'm seeking understanding, I want to grow. We go, we've gone to marriage counseling, we've gone to marriage groups, where you all sit around and talk about um, what you're going through, not what you were going through six months ago, but what you were going through six hours ago, and that's made me really uncomfortable. I remember driving to our first marriage group uh, when I realized what we were, actually it wasn't the first, it was like the second or third, we were first group we had ever been part of, and I said to Christina on the way to the group, I said, now is there anything do you, you're upset about, anything I need to ask forgiveness about before we get there? Because I really don't want to do it in front of everybody. That's the bottom line, you know what I mean? Just tell me now, I'll repent, and then we'll go and we'll say we're good, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, number nine, I honor her. I don't know what I meant by that. Um, I honor her is not just telling stories, but again, it's I honor her priority, I honor her sense of pace, I honor her because that's a way to honor Christ. That's a way to show my children, even though they've got their own marriages, that this is how you do marriage, this is how you do life. You honor one another, and if mom's concerned about something, mom has a right to be concerned about it, even if I'm not as concerned about it, we're going to honor her, honor her concern. And number 10 is I forgive her, because sometimes she does hurt me without even meaning to. She isn't a perfect woman. Your spouse is not a perfect spouse. That's the bottom line. There aren't any. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all being transformed into the image of Christ together. Okay, here's what I'd like you to do for a few minutes, if you would. If you're with a, a spouse, um, I'd like you to just go over this and, and, and say, pick a couple of these. You've got a, a few minutes, or you could do most of it at home if you're interested later. It's a great exercise. And say, how do you think I'm doing with this honoring you? You know, um, we were, I was sort of shocked when we did a, a little thing like this one time where they, they said, rate your own marriage. You know, how are you doing in terms of listening to one another? How are you doing in terms of really loving one another? And I gave our marriage eights and nines and tens out of a one to ten, and Christina was giving it fours and fives. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, what was going on was that even though we were in the same marriage, we were perceiving it differently, and we needed to bridge that gap. Um, and and this is a kind of tool that can help you bridge that gap, okay? So there's a couple of minutes. Why don't you go ahead and talk together? If you're single and you're ne next to somebody else that's single, maybe you can say, is there an, a marriage example that you know of that does this well? 
and just talk about somebody you know who does something well, okay? Go ahead and take a couple minutes to do that.